Hello everyone, I'm your, welcome to Film Universe, I'm your host Ian Vega, and today's topic is going to be mostly about um, the legacy of Chaplin, or Charles Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin, whichever you want to call him, and I'm greeted by, well, greeted, I am not alone because I have a guest here on the first episode of the podcast, um, so my guest, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Hiram Ramos, and I currently attend BMCC. And I'm a VAT major. Yeah. And I love pie very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So this is a, a college student friend of mine. Um, we both go to the same college for now. Um, but, yeah, we both do films and stuff. Um, he's actually my cinematographer for one of my films upcoming in 2018 called Promise, um, which will be screening in the 2018 spring BMCC Fall, uh, Fall Spring Film Festival and Theater One, which is basically where the Tribeca Film Festival happens sometimes, really. So, this is the first episode on the podcast. Um, you can see this on my website or download it um, as a file. And yeah. So, uh, Hiram, we're mostly going to talk about like Chaplin. And I know how much of a big Chaplin fan you are, right? Oh, yeah. Um, like, cause you had classes, right? Like the same class, well, not with me, but we had the same similar classes and they showed you like Chaplin stuff before, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I actually knew about him way before I even came to a uh, BMCC. How? I mean, yeah, they did introduce us to him when we were, um, when we were there at BMCC and one of the media studies class, but I already knew this guy way before and I was like in lower school, you know, like just growing up and stuff. And, um... No, I remember a teacher introduced me to him. Yeah, I actually was kind of familiar with him a little farther back because I think I did my research on him because I was always just kind of a uh, a quiet kid when growing up. And, you know, in order just to, like, I guess, you know, to please myself, I just kind of, like, did my own research on, on these kind of people, yeah. especially Charlie Chaplin. And uh, I remember, I um, yeah, my uh, my teacher just kind of... Uh, you know, showed me about him and his, his films, etc. And I've always used to play it when I was when I was in class and just show it to her. And you know, I just like it. It always amazed me when growing up. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. Like you, when you're like little, much younger, you see someone, and then when you go to college or like in later years, you you see that person again. You're like, oh shit, I know that. I this guy, I know this guy. <laughs> um, for me, it's kind of different because like you've seen the. Um, You've been to my house before. You've seen the giant yeah. picture frame that's in my apartment um, that has, like, it looks like The Last Supper, but it has, like, all the Hollywood icons from, like, the past. and Chaplin. Oh, yeah. yeah I Chaplin. love that one. Yeah. So, when I was little, um, I only knew Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley and Frankenstein. But when I saw Chaplin, I didn't really know who he was. Um, and as I always, like, Every year, pretty much, because it's been in my house even before, like, I was born, apparently. Because um, my mom got it, like, in 1995, I believe. Or I think the same year I was born. I'm not sure. But it's been here for a very long time. And the thing about it is that all of them I didn't really know. But Chaplin, for some reason, like, stood out because he looked like the most goofiest motherfucker in the whole picture. And really, I got more introduced to him, like... I think, like, in high school, because I was on YouTube one day looking at, like, 
old vintage uh, shorts and I stumbled upon him. I don't exactly remember which short it was because it was a long time, but I saw and I was just like, this guy's fucking funny. And this was like in the library in my high school because there was like computers and stuff. And I went on to it like during my lunch period and I just like, oh shit, this guy's hilarious. And that was like only a one thing. And then when I got to college, um, in my script writing class and my multi, I forgot what other class it was. I had my professor with my professor. Um, she showed me the um, Chaplin shorts and it was just funny. And the first full short that I ever saw, like that I remember was the immigrant. And that short was so hilarious because this guy, you know, for a film that's like during the silent era in a way that there's hardly any dialogue at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you understand what he's saying or like through his body language, but this guy can take a fucking bump like a champ. <laughs> like, well, I mean, yeah, because like, you know, he he studied the, uh, you know, the art of pantomime and he just kind of took that with him. Yeah. Uh, when it came to appearing in films. So, I mean, by this time when he was doing The Immigrant, he already had uh, full control over his pictures. I mean, this was during the mutual, uh, mutual decade. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah the mutual, um, uh, I, mean, I don't know how to say it. But yeah. He, like around that time, he did it for that company, and um, so yeah, he just he just kind of did films for that, and that's considered one of his his best short films of of oh, that no, period. Ab- absolutely. Because, Crazy thing about it is that um, for because he's an immigrant, I, he was from London where he was born, and um, from what my professor told me, she said that this was actually based like on a true story of how it was for him to get out of America. Not oh, too, yes, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. It, like not too dramatic, like how that happened, but like the struggles of like going through America and pretty much like during that time period, it was kind of hard because it was like during the melting pot era, I believe. Um, but no, it was just it's such a great short though. Um, the thing what about it, like? the thing about it really is that. If you had to do a comparison of, like, out of every actor that, like, can take a bump, he's, like, on the level of, like, Jackie Chan or, like, um, um, what's the guy's name? The guy who plays Steve Urkel. You mean, um, I know who you're talking about. I yeah, yeah, I just can't remember. <laughs> Forgot the I, actor's name. Yeah, I just, I know the actor, it's just right now the name I don't remember. But no, um, like, what, what would you say is, like, is your favorite short for him or like any film that he worked on pretty much favorite short um let me see because i i really do like a bunch of films that he's done and um i think i'd have to say the uh let me see i think i'd say the the vagabond is, is a good one that i that i like from him yeah um i i don't really have a, a favorite because i just i really just appreciate all of his short films but you know i i would say like a like, I don't know, I wouldn't say like a few, I wouldn't say that many kind of stuck up to me, but, um, or at least kind of like stood to me, but, uh, I feel like, you know, I appreciate each and every one of them. Yeah. But, uh, Vagabond is definitely a good one. I love that one. Immigrant, of course, that's another great one. Um, let me see. Uh, most of them I like are from the mutual, uh, period, so, uh, yeah. I feel like by that time you already kind of developed his character a, a little bit, uh, yeah, a, a little better uh, compared to the other uh, two companies he worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, let me see. So yeah, because like Vagabond, uh, the immigrant. I'm trying to name one more from the mutual that I that I liked. What do you, What was um, your thoughts on the dic- on the Great Dictator? The Great Dictator. Uh, I have the movie. 
Yeah. I've had it for a, a long time, actually. I think I got it when I was when I was in high school, I believe. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, I I love the movie. I mean, it's it's not my favorite Chaplin film, but it's definitely an essential piece to what uh made him so popular. Even though that movie was uh considered, you know, uh, controversial when released, it's mm-hmm. you know this is a you know, a lot of people, you know, how many people portrayed Hitler during that time. And I think the only person uh, to portray Hitler on film was Mo Howard of the Three Stooges. He was the only one to portray Hitler on film. And then, but not many people has, have have heard of that film because it was, it was a short film. So it was a two-reeler that was released. So not many people were familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And um, and in that same year, Chaplin was doing a film of Hitler, too, or power writing, uh, you know, yeah making fun of him yeah so uh that he would be the second person to play um hitler on screen mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people would actually uh kind of mem- remember that of how he did it so i i know but like i i heard it was very controversial when released because you know not many people really managed to tackle it and uh, during this period you know i, I i'm tr- i'm guessing many people tried to uh to avoid uh uh war films because you know many of them were or controversial. I mean, there are many World War II films that came out, but we weren't in the war yet. So, but so far we can already see the peak of what's been what's been going on. Yeah. So, so this is one of the uh, you know one of his best efforts, and obviously one of his best films. Hmm. Uh, the crazy thing about it is that he mixes a lot of comedy, but like has a type of serious tone to it because he really wants to capture the attitude that Hitler had, but he puts it in a way that makes you laugh your ass off so hard like there's a, a particular scene right where he's arguing and there's like a food fight going on and no, yeah. he's supposed to be taken serious but the guy is just like he's selling it so hard on it that it's just like you can't take him serious right and um one of my favorite scenes of the film um well there's two of them i'll get to the second one later on but the first one is like um the film where he's doing like um the speech but he's like pretending to speak german when really he's not but he keeps saying banana right and mm-hmm. he keep and every every time they cut to like another person who's like one of his people he says garbage which oh, yeah. is I hilarious <laughs> i love that one I know. but the funniest thing he does is like when he does this gesture with his hand where he's just like, like, oh, caressing his face. <laughs> and he's just fucking, like, it's so good. And he just acts so feminine with it. But it just, it works. It works in a way that it makes him look like an idiot. Cause like all propaganda cartoons that went during like World War II always made Hitler look like a dumbass, right? Um, yeah. like, all the uh, shorts, like, from Walt Disney or Warner Brothers and all that, really. Um, like, if they had Donald Duck um, or Bugs Bunny or, like, Popeye and all that type of jazz, really. But they always made Hitler look like a dumbass. But this one just... This one takes the cake, but this because this one does something different. Because, one, it's with a real person. And I know there's other films that had live-action people no. portraying Hitler. But this one, like, to me... This one just stands out because it is so ridiculous that it make you kind of think, wow, this guy's my favorite character in the whole film, even though he's betraying a really fucked up guy in real life. <laughs> it's just like, 
you you just laugh your ass off and you're just waiting for him to be on camera because you're like, okay, what is this motherfucker going to do next? You know, like, are you, going back to when you said about uh, cartoons and just kind of uh, using a couple of cartoons as an example yeah. of uh, parroting Hitler, uh, there was one I saw that I actually really enjoyed. The Donald Duck one I'm familiar with. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, In the Fuhrer's Face. That's what it's called. And oh, uh, I know that one was an Academy Award. I don't know if it was a winner or an Academy Award-nominated short film, but I, I saw it, and I, I loved it. It's one of my favorite Donald Duck cartoons, but it was one that really stood out to me and that I actually owned on a VHS, I believe. Was uh, it The Duck no, Taters? No, no, I, I think so. I don't know, because it was Daffy, it was Daffy Duck. I know, uh, Yeah, Daffy Duck was in this oh, one. Basically, um, at the end, which... he gets shot up by cannon, and as I know he's which in the one. air, he lands in the middle of Hitler's speech, and as he's giving the speech, he just picks out like a... Uh, a mullet or a, or a hammer or something and just hits him on the head. I, and then he just shivers and then he just yells at the end. And I just, I, I cracked up a lot when I saw that when I was younger. I think it just... it's the one where he's like fighting a goat, which is like the scrap metal one. I think so. Yeah. Um, but no, there's that really. Um, and the scene, the second scene that I mentioned earlier, um, has to be like, out of every film Chaplin worked on, this has to be like the most iconic scene that he's ever done, which is the ending where he gives the speech about like humanity and stuff. Yeah. Um, very motivational and very deep, but the crazy thing about it is that that speech can be worked on even in modern times. So really it's, you can use that speech for anything, really. Like, no oh, matter yeah. what I mean, time I see it period. a bunch of times. I see uh, people online actually use this speech as a, as a series, of, you know, like a, for a series of slideshows and things like that yeah. so to go along with what's happening in the world. And I, I can see why, you know, it's so popular, this speech, because, you know, a lot of people use it and can compare it to what's going on now. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's, it's really, you know, it matches it perfectly. And, yeah. you know, I, I can see why. You know, it's such an important speech because it speaks to so much uh, that's been going on. I mean, mm. not just at that time, but, of course, what's going on now. Too. Yeah. So, you know, just to, uh, you know, to uh, take this speech and compare it to uh, different situations that go on and around the world, you know, I feel like it, it matches it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I can see why, because every time, whenever I'm on a, a Facebook or, or YouTube or anything like that, you know, there's always a new video with that same speech. And I won't lie, it, 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 at times, you know, at times it, it's usually the same, but I can see why so many people get touched by this speech. And it's and in a way, it's a kind of it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch because, you know, it's just it speaks, mm-hmm. you know, it just shows that it really does touch a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the thing about it is that when in my one of my classes, when we saw it, um, my professor never saw that speech. I don't know why. Because she's like a film professor, but she's seen the film before, but she never, for some reason, like, got to the ending. So everyone in my class was kind of surprised. And I told her, listen, you gotta, you gotta watch the ending with us, you know, because like during this time period, we just, we need something, right? So she saw it and she thought it was very powerful and it was a very like touching speech, really. You know, and what I've noticed, too, on that speech is that I don't know if anybody ever got to notice this when watching the speech. But if you look really closely, and I mean really closely at Chaplin's head when he's speaking uh, just to the people. And mm-hmm. basically, as the camera zooms in, you can clearly see some sweat oh, falling no, yeah. off 
his head, his forehead. And I think nobody never notices this, but I I can see it just coming right off his head. And I, you know, that proves how powerful and how, uh, you know, how dedicated he was to actually expressing what he felt was was right. Yeah. And you know, it just, you know, to see that, uh, to see that drop of sweat, you know, fall down on the side of his face, or at least on on the side of his forehead, yeah. you know, kind of proves it. Would you say like? Because I don't have the answer for it, bro. Like, would you say that that was improv, or you think that he that was actually written down in the script? You know, I, I know, I think I've read it somewhere that it was, it was, um, just him actually that it speaking. was written, that it was written, and that he gave the speech. But personally, like, it's I, I need to look it up again because I know I remember I, I have a, a booklet that that explains this. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but um, you know, either it may be scripted or improv i felt like you know it was still a powerful speech it was mm-hmm. expressed beautifully and it worked perfectly at the end so i mean if it's scripted whoever wrote it like had a lot to say but the thing about it like to me personally if you want to do like a, a a speech that talks about like politics or something like that it it doesn't have to be written like in a script form because what he said sounded like it actually came from him really but it, if it's if it is actually scripted and god that's powerful but it, it's a very touching speech and some would say that Chaplin did it better because um compared to how um Robert Downey Jr. did in the Chaplin film that he worked on um we'll talk about that film uh in a few but like would you say like when giving that speech, who do you think did it better? Like Chaplin? Oh, Chaplin. Yeah, or Chaplin. Like, yeah, I think Chaplin. I mean, I don't want to uh debate you know, about uh, it, yeah. Increase Robert Downey Jr. by the way he delivered the speech because I felt like he gave it all his you know, literally all the yeah. all his might just to give that speech. So I do respect him for it. But yeah. I mean at the same time, you know, I do look back on, on Chaplin and how he gave the speech because I know he was one of the first people to do it, at least for that film. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I but I give credit to both of them really. But I would say Chaplin, you know, is the person who delivered it, you know, uh, more thoroughly, more powerfully. Yeah. To touch the hearts of any. So. What would you say is the um, the legacy he le- like left out? Like, because the guy had four marriages, like divorced and stuff, or and he had like a bunch of kids. Um, but like. As a filmmaker, because he fil- he written, produced a lot of his work, um, and believe he also directed. But like, what do you think he like since he's been gone since 1977, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is like the legacy that he has now? Like, well, I like after his death, like what did he leave behind as like for filmmakers and stuff, really? I see. Well, I mean, uh, after his death, I felt like he he left a huge legacy behind. I mean, um, I mean, if you kind of look back on it, I mean, you know, now he's an important figure in cinema. Literally, you can see his 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 tram character anywhere on the streets. Like literally, that's it's one of the most important symbols in cinema because you know it, it it literally improved cinema as a whole. I mean, ever since he released A Dog's Life. You know, oh, that, yeah. that was, uh, that was the film that literally, uh, I remember one critic spoke about it saying that it was one of the first original pieces of Hollywood cinema I think he ever saw. 
wow. or something like that. But yeah, because it really was a change for uh, for cinema in general. And after that, his character, it just, you know, it spoke to the hearts of so many. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like that, you know, that just left a legacy that just, you know, no one can take away because it just spoke to so many people. You know, it made so many people laugh. And even besides all the divorces he went through, you know, I, I would have to say, you know, he was just living life. And, you know, to his fullest, I mean, you know, there were ups, there were downs. And I'm pretty sure it went back and forth with him when it came to uh, no, his films. Because he did re- he did get controversy, too, for uh, a few films he's done over the years. So um, I would have to say that, uh, yeah, you know, like, you know, he, he was just living life. You know, I mean, in life, you always go up and down, whatever mm-hmm. happens. And uh, that that was one of them. So, but like, I mean, by one of them, I mean like uh, controversy when doing. Um, I, I think it was during the fifties when he was doing Limelight. You know, mm-hmm. he was uh, he was banned from uh, from ever uh, you know coming back to the to the United States because he was in England uh, attending a premiere of his film Limelight, and yeah. you know he found out that you know he his passport was was no longer accepted in the U.S. So he couldn't come back because ever since the, it was the McCarthy era so it was at a very serious time when it came to communism and things like that and they accused him for being a communist mm-hmm. so like many other celebrities too in Hollywood they were accused of communists as well as your Mostel uh, you, you know a bunch of them so um, yeah so that like he just you know he, he just ended up there mm-hmm. for most of his life he never really he, I think he lived in Switzerland for the, he, know, for the remaining of his life. Yeah, he died in Switzerland. Yeah, so... There was an interview There was an interview that he did, which um, it was like an audio recording. Um, you can find it on YouTube easily, but basically they asked him about, like, you know, life in, in London and life in Switzerland, and he just goes... He just has a passion for it. So I think the guy just pretty much has a passion for just life, really, and that's what... I think makes a good filmmaker really like one of the good things is that you have to like have a very good view or like a very strong view if I um like reword it a strong view in like how you see the world really this guy he was the most like passionate about about life really because um connecting it to like you know the kid a dog's life and you know the great dictator ending he just had so much love in his heart that he just he in his films i think what he mostly and they have all the same message it's just like no war let's just all love each other because we're all human beings you know we're all like we're the human race and we should all love each other especially and all life really and i think that's just like his films pretty much it just like describe like the enjoyments of like life really like, whether it's good or bad and stuff, like, and not only that, but also, like, emotions, because some of his films, like, work on, like, I think two of his wives were in it, but, like, um, something about, like, love, really, you know, like, because there's always, like, a love interest or, like, a girl he's trying to get with, yeah. um, especially in, like, The Immigrant and The Bank, which is the fucking hell- most hilarious ones he's done with a woman that just made me piss myself laughing oh and the circus but like it's really just like all his films are pretty much a like enjoyment of life and just live it man um and i think that works really strongly um especially with his films because for a film that doesn't for some of his films that 
there's no dialogue, it sends a really powerful message about like enjoying life, which I could agree on. Um, one of the things that I um, wanted to address is your thoughts on the Robert Downey Jr. like version of like Chaplin, really. Like, what like what was your thoughts about it? Well, I mean, when I first saw the film, like I know it was it was based off his um. Uh, based off the uh, what do you call it? And I think his autobiography, or just somebody that was uh, attending to. And I remember, like, it, it was based off a, of a story that was written about Chaplin, yeah, and about a man who did interview him. So basically, but what what really threw me off about the movie is that <clears throat> it tries to cover a Everything. lot, and I yeah, mean, like every possible uh, thing about his life, and and I feel like it's it's done, you know, so. You know, it's so hard. Like they're just trying to get every bit of information down that it just kind of leaves you off because you know they 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 just can't keep piling up every piece of information because there's yeah. just so much to tell. And you can see that throughout the movie that there's like you know just kind of speeds for one thing after another after another after another. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it does you know it does construct it well, but it doesn't you know it just it just forces itself to cover every possible thing. And I think that's what kind of threw me off because you know it can't be covered all. Like not all of it could be covered, so it just it's it's difficult for 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 at least the you know the writer to actually do all this. Yeah. So, but don't get me wrong, Robbie Downey Jr. did a terrific performance of Chaplin. I thought he, I mean, obviously he was he was nominated for an Academy Award for it, so obviously it's well it's well respected for that. But at the same time, it's just you know the, when it comes to the story, it's, it just tries to just squeeze in as much as possible and it just doesn't turn out as as expected yeah so i, I mean, mean the film came out in 1992 yeah. and um you're right about one thing that it does cover too much of the film of chaplin's life like it's just it's you're like literally his entire bi- biography in the screen like and the point that you made of like um things that were put in the film are like there was some stuff that wasn't really necessary to put in the film whether it was like very deep and stuff but it was just like too much really because need your mind to like develop on like one thing and it just goes on and on but no like the ending was good i thought the ending was good um and like no shots taken on robert downey jr like he did an amazing job oh yeah um Especially for a guy who, like, went through so much shit in his life, especially, like, in mm-hmm. his career. Yeah. Um, he did, it was a good jump for him, really. Um, but, like, when people think about Chaplin, they think about the original. So, it, it's not a shot on him, really. It's just, like, you know, if you're gonna, pers- um, like, portray someone iconic, you know, you're gonna have to know that people are gonna think about the original person more than you. So, it's it's nothing really harsh or anything. It's just how life works. Um, like if someone were to make a film about Bruce Lee, which I think they did recently, and it was just so terrible. But everyone, like nobody's gonna focus on the person portraying Bruce Lee. Everyone's gonna remember like the like actual Bruce Lee. So it's like really that really. But as for Chaplin entirely, um. As for his legacy, um, yeah, he left a big fucking mark in cinema. Like, he, if you want to make a Mount Rushmore of, like, filmmakers, he's, like, one of the big, like, he's next to, like, Hitchcock, you know? Like, no, he, yeah. He's, he's that iconic. No, he, 
definitely is. I mean, I think everybody knows who, who he is. I mean, in school, maybe that's either that. They talk about him or they, you know, talk about Buster Keaton. Yeah. They talk about a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, uh, people during the silent era. And, uh, yeah, D.W. Griffith is one of them, too, like, when it comes to directors. But, uh, yeah, no, no. Like, he's highly respected in, in cinema, Charlie mm-hmm. Chaplin, while all he contributed. So, I mean, clearly his image is not yeah. worn out at all. I mean, it's, it's still recognized. And even to newcomers of a uh, film and, and, and comedy and things like that he's he's highly recognized so yeah i mean yeah i mean that's you know like yeah, i think more and more of uh, him just keeps appearing every day would you say his films were work like for kids in this generation because i tried showing um one of my nieces um a short of him she didn't really understand it but like do you think kids like now will understand it about, like, the meaning of, like, his work, like, the message that were being sent off, or, in general, like, entertainment, like, would they enjoy it, in your opinion? Well, I feel like, I, I feel children uh, will, I mean, well, I mean, of course, it'll take some time to understand it, because, I mean, you know, when you're first witnessing, because I'm pretty sure, you know, these kids are, are used to seeing uh, things that are just on TV, you know, things on that. So, you know, something, uh, old and yeah. know, something from the twenties or even farther back or just, you know, further. Yeah. I mean, the majority uh, of kids, into, like, like the thirties or even in the, uh, you know, 1910s and things like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like kids will, uh, you know, will take some time to adapt. But I think, I feel like if you tell them about it, you know, what the film's about and what, what's yeah. happening in the film, like what's, you know, like uh, what, what the whole, uh, situation is i'm pretty sure they'll understand um because i mean me personally like i i i grew up with it so mm-hmm. and i i you know i have i i loved it pretty much i mean when i first witnessed it i just yeah you know i was just amazed by you know like this is the movements you know the way you know it was just it was being shown to me and, and i remember uh, my uh my my school teacher even telling me that you know about what made him you know so important like yeah you know what and things like that. And I'm doing my own research, too. I just became to appreciate him even more. So mm-hmm. I feel like children will uh, find a way to love him. It's just yeah. of, you know, how how are you going to introduce him to to this to this child? Like, are you going to, you know, are you going to explain? Or are, you, or are you just going to show it yeah. at, at normal? But, uh, no, yeah, like, um, I, I feel like kids could appeal to him. Definitely. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just a way of a uh, matter of explanation of what's going on, because obviously it'll take some time for them to understand. But I feel like if you show them a couple of more, you know, they, they, they could love it. And, you know, if not, you, you gave it your best. Yeah. I mean, more kids, I mean, younger kids actually are more of like the visual, like they don't give a shit about like the script. Unless you have a very smart child, of course. But like majority of kids are just like really focused on the visuals. And... Like, if you want an example, like, just think about, like, the only five, three children that saw the Emoji movie in, like, in a theater, right? It was because of visual, right? However, for this film, like, for his films, there's no dialogue that much. But, like, you know, there's a lot of visualization. So, like, kids couldn't mostly understand it, really. Um... Yeah, you're right about, like, as they grow up, they, like, start to realize, like, oh, like, this is the message I was saying, or, like, oh, this is so genius, you know? Especially for, like, you know, compared to, like, how um films are made today with, like, a huge, giant, like, 
um, production of like, of like visual effects and stuff, you know, for films that were like made in like the early, like 1915s or like the 20s, you know, it's still groundbreaking and still amazing how it's done. Um, cause like there's, um, if you look at like pictures or videos of like how it was made and stuff, uh, for Chaplin, um, it's blown, it's amazing how like the, the sets were created. So it's just amazing, really. But I mean, yeah, uh, Chaplin just left a big impact in young filmmakers, especially for ones who, you know, want to like mimic his type of work, which is like silent films. Uh, that are black and white, and not only that, but like, you know, telling a story with like body language, which is one of the most biggest um things in a film, especially for this guy who like takes a bump and like gets hit every single shot, really. Because if you see any of his film, I don't think there's one film where he gets like hit with something. Right? <laughs> like he gets hit with everything. And if you kind of think about it, he's like the evil Knievel of, like, film. Well, actually, no, that's Jackie Chan. But, like, you know, 1920s, yeah, that's the guy. No, but, I mean, like, you know, he, he's, he was always good with uh, with pratfalls and and uh, certain uh, certain material that required him just to just fall down. No, especially when it's, like, things getting hit on the top of his head. No, yeah, because most, most of these comedies during the... Uh, during the twenties and then before, yeah, yeah, my, you know, many of them were were just you know slapstick comedies or just uh you know kind of just comedies because they were really really popular in the in the market and yeah. many people went to see them and you know there was a a, a bunch of uh, actors that contributed to uh, doing pratfalls especially in the uh, in the Max Senate uh, mm-hmm. uh, Max Sen- yeah Max Senate Studios uh, Keystone yeah. So basically, you know, you always had all these actors doing falls, and everybody knows that, like, you know, if you you're going to be a part of Keystone Pictures, you know, you have to do some type of pratfall. I mean, you even have the girls doing it too. So yeah, you had everybody doing falls there, and the hitting, getting hit on the head, and then things like that, doing all these facial reaction. I mean, Keystone three, was really all out with with facial three uh, Stooges type shit, really. Yeah, but the three Stooges came out. Uh, like, yeah, they they were. They came later on in the 30s, but they were performing on vaudeville in the 20s. But it's, it's still, I'm pretty sure they were doing a similar shtick to uh, compared to uh, Keystone. And keep in mind, like when they joined Columbia, it was similar to that too. For yeah, uh, when, yeah when they were uh, when they were working for Columbia Pictures, uh, they were working in the shorts department. And we had this one guy, Jules White, who literally was inspired by the Keystone type of humor. You know, with all the violent. Uh, Farce mm-hmm. that's been going on, being thrown around, and uh, you know the eye poking and the slapping across the face. <laughs> you know that was all heavily inspired by, by um, by Keystone, and and I feel like, uh, I mean I feel like that was all Stooges uh, material because I feel like you know they they probably were inspired somehow, but they you got it all they picked it up all on stage, and when it came to the, the sound effects and the facials, uh, you know like the, <laughs> you know like their facial reactions and stuff like that, it's just. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was probably all picked up by, uh, by, uh, by them, by Max Senate. Um, yeah. So, um, here's, um, here's something I want to ask you. Um, but a uh, little backstory to it. Um, when 
I had to do a paper for my professor. It was like, okay, take two. I don't know if you did it as well. Take two film directors or something or like any filmmakers from the past and put them together and put them in the present time and oh, like, yeah. I ma- that one. Ma- um, write a story about how what film they would make together. So for me, it was like the weirdest mix up because instantly wanted to put Chaplin. However, it was either going to, like, I didn't know how to put Chaplin and Ishiro Honda together because they're, like, two opposites, really. Yeah, it is difficult because, but... you know, and he came, I think, I think, I believe, much later on. Who, Ishiro, no, Ishiro Honda was, well. No, right. Well, I mean, he was, like, born very, like, in the earlies, but, like, he... I think he was born in 1920 or 1930. I'm not really sure. All I know is that he was in the... There, there's a lot I know about Ishiro Hana, but that's a different... That'll be a different podcast. But um, the thing about it is that originally it was going to be Ishiro Honda and Chaplin, but decided to change it to Chaplin and Walt Disney. So let's like, oh, bring them together. Um and because you know how both of them, um, Chaplin made the dictator and Walt Disney made like a shitload of like propaganda films of during both of them during World War Two. So it's like, OK, who would they talk about in a film? Right. About like, oh, about present time, really. Out of all the people, I was like, OK, so like Chaplin and Walt Disney came back alive. Right. And. They see a bunch of like protesters with anti-Trump signs, and I think from there you can probably uh, know what the hell I wrote for my story. <laughs> um, but no. So the real que- the the question is, um, if Chaplin was alive or like went to the future with you know Doc Brown, um, what do you think he'll still be making films, and if so? Um, what would his films be mostly about, really? Like, because it's a different time period for, especially for him, considering how he's like mostly from the silent era. Um, but like since now films have like special effects, um, production like equipment has evolved, and sound exists in films. So like, I mean, he made we know that he made some films with sounds, but like entirely like it was rare, really. So like. Now it's more of like a normal thing. Like you can record an uh, uh, someone's audio on like your phone or something. Yeah, which you're, which you're kind of doing now. So. <laughs> yeah. But um, how, like what do you think he, he will be doing now if he was like around? Well, I think he would uh, – I mean if he was still around. I, you know, I, I would figure he would keep making movies. Um, you know, I would figure maybe he would try to adapt to uh, technology here because you know, as time goes on, you you adapt to technology, and I'm pretty sure that's how it ha- how it was too during the you know, during the uh, 1910s, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and and so forth, because he was still making movies uh, during each each period of, of history. So I'm pretty sure every new um, you know, like as 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 the years went by, I'm sure technology improved as well. Yeah. So that called for new sound equipment. Um, and Chaplin uh, would would you know probably uh, use his equipment to, to his fullest to create something uh, 
you know, in his format. So I'm pretty sure, you know, he would he would continue make, making films in the format of uh, the way the way he usually does. Most of his films are kind of written like a like poetry, and he kind of makes an example of that throughout his films with you know it's you know, compared to what you know compared to what it's about. So yeah, I don't know if he's comparing it to his life or just you know something <laughs> that he just made up, but. I, I really don't think he would do the tramp anymore, though, because he even spoke about it before, saying that um, the tramp shouldn't speak, and you know, and to have him talk would just kind of ruin the essence of the character. So I feel like he would still keep making movies, even with sound equipment. But I don't think he would use the the hero. He would become the tramp anymore. He would, but he would still make very innovative movies, if, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. So, what topic? Like, <clears throat> since comparing to the dictator, right? He always talked about like controversial topics, right? Yeah. Um, like, what is one topic you think he will want to make a film about that's happening currently? Ooh. Well, I mean, out of all that's happening in the world, I feel like he would. Uh, I I feel he would probably uh, speak on a political note about what's happening now with uh, you know, with Trumpism, with uh. Uh, racial conflict, uh, you know, you know yeah. economic uh, different. You know, I feel like there's there's a lot to talk about now. And I feel if he was around, I, I feel he would he would do that. He would probably talk about that because uh, keep in mind also during the 50s um, when he gave up the character, he even had thoughts about you know like uh, you know no, he even had thoughts on why he would can like give the character up by the time he was. Um, by the time he gave, because uh, he gave him up in 1936, modern times, because that was the last time to actually see the tramp, and they would walk on. Now, in The Great Dictator, yes, it, he looks like the tramp. He has similarities to the tramp, but he wasn't playing the tramp. It was yeah. mainly, it was mainly a, uh, uh, a tweaking of his a character he'd been playing for the past 20 years of his life, or 30 years. So it's just, you know, he, but he even had thoughts about thinking about, you know, maybe like, you know, like I should have brought him back uh, now, you know, during the 50s because there was still there was still room for the little guy in the atomic age. And yeah. he basically he spoke about that, too, because in the 50s was also a time of turmoil. You got the Cold War coming in. You know, you got a, a lot of fright happening from the nuclear uh, war, you know, a nuclear war and things like that. So it just, you know, a lot was was would be, you know, like a lot, a lot would go on. And you know, he even had, uh, I wouldn't say regrets, but, you know, he had thoughts like, you know, I should have not killed him off during 1936. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, of course, you can bring him back if you wanted to, but, you know, he just didn't feel like that. You know, he just really didn't feel like he wanted to bring the character back for the 50s. Yeah. Um, if you had to ask me about, like, what topic he will be covering that's happening now, there's, um, there's two that I got. Um, one of them you said pol- uh, politics, which... Is very strong. Um, I think he'll talk something about, and I know um, for any audience members who are listening, are probably gonna know what I'm talking about. They're probably gonna. Uh, he will probably do um, what I wrote in my paper um, for my class, which is like he'll talk about Trump or like any controversy with politics. Really, the second thing, um, I think uh, he will be talking about like. Um, I think you also said this, uh, the racial tension that's going on, especially with like the whole Black Lives Matter or White Lives Matter that 
recently trended on Twitter, like, not too long ago. And pretty much all this, like, racial controversy, especially with, like, um, the whole war that's going on with, like, um, like, minorities and police, or pretty much anything with police people, really. Um, and he's made films before that have cops in it all the time, and, like, he's the one who's getting his ass kicked or chased by them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he'll probably do something like that, really. I don't know how he would do it, but he, he has a way, really. Um, and another topic, um, recently that's been going on, and, um, it's kind of getting tiring for me, really, but, like, I think he'll want to, like, he, it has to be a very serious topic because, well, it's actually a very serious topic, but, like, that's going on now, but it's the whole, um, allegations that are going on with sexual assault and all that. Oh, yeah. That's going on in Hollywood. Yeah, like, all these, like, recently, um, like, Sylvester Stallone has been accused. Really? Yeah, uh, he, new to me. He was recently accused of doing, of for, trying to force a girl to have a threesome with him in 1986. But I think Chaplin would mostly talk, like, have a film that talks about the topic of, like, sexual harassment. And there has been films where, you know, the damsel in distress type of thing, but, like, I think he would work, make it in a way that, you know, um, like, it doesn't seem too, fake or like too fictional or too staged it's like like it has to like i'm not saying oh let's get an actress to get sexually assaulted on set no i'm just saying like oh of course not no 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 no, 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 no. it's just like it has to make the audience members understand like okay this is getting this film's uh covering the topic about like sexual harassment that's going on in hollywood and I mean, I'm not saying, oh, he has to save her or anything, but, like, I don't know what he would do, really. Because, like, I know there will be some um, audience members who's like, well, why does the guy have to save her? Like, why can't she just fight at her own, you know? And especially, like, how people work, like, all that stuff, really. But um, I think that's something he will want to talk about. Um, another one that... And it's kind of covering to the dictator, which is like, oh, don't let machines control you. You are men. All that jazz. I think you want to talk about like how, and I'm not like anti-web or social media, but I think you want to talk about like the topic of like, you know, social media and websites controlling people, like their emotions and stuff, instead of like talking to each other face to face. I don't like, I really don't know. I think that was something he'll talk about. But, you know, yeah. So, I guess that's pretty much it, really. Do you have any, like, final words about, like, Chaplin? Uh, let me think. I mean, he, I mean, clearly, he's just, you know, he's he's one of the best uh, filmmakers to have uh, come out, you know, since... Yeah. You know, uh, for a long time, you know, so he's, he's, you know, he's, uh, you know, he just left something that's so important to cinema mm-hmm. and to comedy that it just plays such an important role yeah to just everyone who's inspired by him and i feel that that legacy will always stay within a filmmaker and even to the people you know just to the public in general because you know they see him as just something that just or someone that is so innovative and you know his craft just cannot be ignored especially you know with what 
what he left behind mm-hmm. is just, you know, something that just cannot be forgotten. Um, the final words about Chaplin. Um, the guy made, like, he made an impact hard. Like, the strongest impact. Um, like I said, he's one of the, like, the four horsemen of, like, cinema in the silent era. Um, but, like, the guy, you know, even though, for a guy who hardly spoke on screen, the guy really told a very strong story in all his work, really. And I think that's what made him a very special and remembered um, filmmaker and actor and producer and all that, and writer. He just made it, like, so connective. Like, he's an underdog in a way. Like, because you, you, feel, you feel something for the guy because you... You think back about, like, every time you see a a specific scene, you think back of, like, your past. And you're like, oh, man, I I can understand this guy because I went through that type of stuff, really. Whether it's the most goofiest fucking thing in the world. And speaking on that note, if anybody who ran away from the police, like Chaplin, then you really need to get checked up for that. But, um, no, the guy really just, he created a character that, can never be forgotten because it was just him really and it's someone that we can all like have sympathy for really or anything really so like you you feel for the character and you just connect with him easily oh definitely so yeah so that wraps up the podcast episode one on film universe um if you want to follow um Hiram over here. Um, Hiram, is there any social media that people can get in touch with you or connect with you? Well, at the moment, it's it's a work in progress, but I am coming up with a, uh, you know, a uh, YouTube channel that I'm I'm still uh, posting up short films and stuff. So at the moment, you know, if you want to look at what I got so far, it's just Hiram Ramos. You know, I can be Artemis. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still a work in progress. So right now, you know, until I get everything settled, I'll, you know, I'll. I'll We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, do you have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram account? Uh, no. I mean, I do have a Facebook, but, you know, it's not meant to be out there for the public. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, you know, like I said, I can I can be found on uh, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And my uh, account is literally Hiram Ramos. I have – I'm still a work in progress, but I have at least, uh, you know, two short films up. So I'm hoping to get uh, – a few of them out, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of more out. Either that, or I'm just uh, I might work on something, you know, big. If that, if if time, you know, if uh, if school will let me. So yeah, that's just kind of in the way a lot. But yeah, so I, you know, I can be reached just that Hiram Ramos on YouTube. I mean, hopefully there's not that many Hiram Ramoses, but mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. So um, that wraps up. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the Ian Vega. Um, follow me on Instagram, Ian Vega Pictures. Uh, YouTube is, um, Ian Vega Pictures and Facebook is Ian Vega. Um, and that also on Tumblr, it is also Ian slash Vega. Um, that wraps up for episode one of the podcast of Film Universe. Um, and Hiram, we will see you again on future episodes. So I'm your host, Ian Vega, and this has been Film Universe, Episode 1, signing out.